And so the reading, Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 15, I read that from the New King James Version, and again, as I typically do, if any of our sermon audio listeners have not read that text, I would encourage you to do so. But here I want to reread verses 11 and verse 15 from Ephesians 5 in a somewhat paraphrased translation, because I think it, it emphasizes the point even more as it relates to the subject of today's message. Verse 11, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. So be careful how you live, verse 15. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Lovers of death, the subject of today's message. I suppose there are some reformed pastors and others who would shy away or askew preaching on a subject like Halloween. Part of that is because uh, they don't think the Scriptures speak to anything other than personal salvation, which the Scriptures certainly do. But to once again paraphrase Dr. Van Til, the Scriptures speak with authority concerning everything about which they speak, and Scripture speaks about everything. And it especially speaks to the subject of a culture, a people, who are in love with death. In our Old Testament reading, we heard King Solomon's description of the enemies of God in Proverbs 8. And in that proverb, in that chapter, the personified wisdom of Yahweh declares, I'll read it again, but whoever sins against me harms himself, all they who hate me are in love with death. Let me emphasize something. The sermon is not technically from that text, but it bears making this point. I'm going to reread this and change the wording a bit to get the point across. All they who hate me don't feel very good. No, that's not what it says. All those who hate me, that is, all those who hate God's wisdom, are confused about life. No, that's not what it says. All they who hate me are in love with death. Now, what would that look like if a person, a society, a culture was in love with death? Well, turn on the TV set, walk up and down Main Street or the malls, and you'll get a pretty good idea. Ours is a humanistic and anti-Christian culture. And so we now see the chickens coming home to roost, so to speak, with the widespread obsession with something like Halloween. And this fascination, as Dr. Rustuni once said, is a cultural desire, will toward death. We today are surrounded by a suicidal generation, men and nations, powerfully motivated to courses of action that manifest a death wish. For many Christians, the observance of Halloween is challenging at best and disturbing at worst, and many of us Part of the complication is that many of us carry sentimental memories of Halloween from years long past. Now, when I say many of us, I mean those in our so-called baby boomer generation, those of us born in the late 50s and the early 60s up until around the late 60s or whatever it is. If you were out trick-or-treating in 1962 or 1958 or something like that, many of us remember dressing up in silly costumes and going door to door and begging for candy. Back then, you didn't see a lot of people 
dressed up for Halloween as demons and devils and witches. They were the usually goofy characters and not the horrific nightmarish beings that we see in today's Halloween. Yet another thing people didn't do back in those days was spend a fortune on a holiday like this. There is um, a neighborhood not far from here. I don't want to be more specific than that. I probably don't have to because I'm sure there's something like this uh, in, a, in every place. But I noticed this last year and maybe the year before, and it's back again. This house, it's a moderately sized house. In and in a, well, I'd say a neighborhood that's not ancient, but it's not a brand new subdivision either. And their front yard, I guess, would be roughly the size of our parking lot here, maybe slightly smaller. And from one corner of the front yard all through the front porch to the other side of the front yard, it is garishly and ghoulishly decorated for Halloween. And I don't mean with just a jack-o'-lantern and bats. I mean uh, a, a full-size replica of somebody being roasted alive on a, on a spick. Uh, do, ghoulish, zombie-looking, mummified, evil-looking things. I mean, you, you look at this and you think, something is wrong. Something's gone way out of whack with this. Not to mention the effort and the cost put, in, put into something like that. According to statistics, the year 2021 had an unemployment rate of 4%. Now, I don't know if you can trust those numbers for last year. But that's what they're reporting. Let's just go with it and say it's 4% unemployment in 2021. You may be interested to know that according to the National Retail Federation, Americans spent an estimated $10 billion on costumes, glow-in-the-dark skull things, and all other types of, quote, entertainment related to Halloween, October 31st, like this yard I've described. And then there are these, uh, you hear them already advertised on the radio, these places you can go down the highway and they've got some nightmarish scare castle or something set up with, that's even worse as that front yard I described. And people will pay big money to have the daylight scared out of them and, and gratify their desires to see this kind of thing. And in case you're wondering, in 2019, America spent $8.8 .8 billion. So pre-plandemic, it was already $8.8 .8 billion dollars. And according to the National Reef Federation, within a year after all that, in 2021, it was up to $10 billion. Some people know, and Christians especially, of the pagan origins of this holiday and even its satanic activities associated with it. If you don't know, before this hour is over, you're going to find out. In some towns, it has been common practice for people who owned cats, particularly black cats, to bring them in. In the month of October, experience had shown that as Halloween approached, unwatched pets would begin to disappear, not because they had run off and not because of childish pranks. See, I'm not really sure why any serious Christian would have any confusion about any of this, but apparently some do. And of course, our pagan unbelieving friends are totally in the dark about it. Now, the scripture text that we heard from Ephesians 5 is very clear. We are to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness and evil, and we are to not behave like fools. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10.31, is also clear again. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
I don't know how anyone in their right mind could have a front yard like the one I described and think that that anyway glorifies God. I'm sure the people who've done that could care less about glorifying God. But given the unavoidable nature of this so-called holiday, how should Christians deal with it? Well, I want to suggest to you four things in particular that we might consider for your consideration. Here is the first. Christians should become informed about this whole celebration thing of Halloween. You know, long before the message of Jesus Christ came to northern Europe, which is where most of the ancestors of the people who settled and established these United States came from, and I would say, looking out across our congregation, where most of our ancestors came from, the pagan Celtic people of that region. There was a race of people, a tribe of people that populated uh, parts of Scotland, Ireland, uh, other parts of Europe known as the Celts. You spell that C-E-L-T-S, the Celts. The Celtic people of that region, they embraced a religion, a pagan religion, that was led by a caste of priests called Druids. Some of you have heard of it. Well, according to that Celtic calendar of that religion, the New Year begins on November 1st, and so New Year's Eve is October 31st. And in that pagan belief system, as winter is approaching, the sun god is growing weaker, and the lord of death is growing stronger. Yes, they, they worship nature. They worship the earth and the creation. October 31st was the day when the wall between the world of the dead and the world of the living was, shall we say, down for maintenance, so to speak. And the Lord of Death, also known as the Grim Reaper, would come at the new year to receive the souls of those who had died in the previous year. And evil spirits who had died were loosed to haunt the living. And these fearful people in their pagan religion and superstition, they began to light bonfires on the hillsides on the night before the new year. And they hoped to scare away the evil spirits by these bonfires. And as part of that same ritual, in the houses and huts and whatever dwellings they lived in, you know, they typically kept a fire burning inside, not only for warmth, but for cooking. Well, all the cooking fires were extinguished on October 31st, and they were relit on the New Year's Day from that great bonfire that was set on the hillside. They also believed that waving a burning braid of straw attached to a pitchfork would ward off or frighten off demons and witches. And sometimes these people would put on grotesque costumes in hopes that the evil spirits would look at them and think they too were evil spirits and leave them alone. Even the familiar jack-o'-lantern is a druid symbol. People put a candle inside a hollowed-out gourd or a pumpkin and they did that back then to show that they were supportive of the Druids and they deserved to have mercy from them. So in terms of the pre-Christian roots of our culture, the basis of this holiday is unmistakably and undoubtedly fear. Fear of the dead, fear of evil spirits, fear of ghosts. Well, after a form of Christianity spread across northern Europe, the Roman Catholic Church sought to overcome the pagan tradition of these people in part by, and I'm putting air quotes around this word, Christianizing the most important of their pagan holidays. A lot of the traditions that we associate with Christmas and Easter have origins in pre-existing pagan holidays and religions. And so the church, the Catholic Church just came in and co-opted those traditions and put a Christian veneer over them. They gave them Christian meanings. 
For example, our other examples are evergreen trees, uh, wreaths of pine branches, and holly. All of those are involved or associated with the old Druidic rites that now have generally come to have Christmas meanings. And there's some Christians who are so disturbed by this that they don't celebrate Christmas at all precisely because of those pagan associations. Now, I happen to think that's going too far. I don't have to have that view, but you can see how some people might. Now, there are technically three related church holidays that are involved where the Catholic Church took over these pagan rituals. There's All Hallows' Eve, which is where we get the word Halloween, October 31st. There's All Hallows' Day, or All Saints' Day, which is November 1st, to honor the dead martyrs of the faith and those who had died during the previous year. And then there's November 2nd, which some churches celebrate or observe, called All Souls' Day. And in the case of the Papist Church, a commemoration or a praying for those who are locked in the place they call purgatory, part of their heretical system of teaching. Well, just like at Christmas and Easter, attempts were made to redefine many of these old pagan symbols. And so dressing in costumes and, and going door to door, that did, that did relate to the old pagan and druid practices, but that practice was also influenced by the agricultural and seasonal rituals of later traditions of the British Isles, a practice that was not restricted to the time of year we call Halloween. Masked players would go from house to house during harvest season or other times of the year, putting on a skit or a play or a music in return for food and drink. And often these performances were infused with a Christian theme or two. But now the thing that we know of as trick-or-treat, that has a purely American origin. In the 19th century, that is the 1800s, when Irish and Scots-Irish immigrants brought their Halloween traditions to North America, that night became an occasion for pranks and mischief. Vandals would go through the night going to farms and homes, soaping up windows, kicking over outhouses, and pulling gates off their hinges. And the joke was, oh, uh, the, the witches and the ghosts have done this. That, that's what it was meant to be, a joke. Well, after a period of time, it was no longer funny. The pranks grew more outrageous, and people got tired of it. And so to counteract these Halloween vandalisms, people decided to establish uh, community efforts to begin to organize alternatives that were safe. And so children were encouraged to go door to door and receive treats from, from homeowners and merchants in exchange for tricks, or, in a or instead of tricks. So that's where trick-or-treat orig originates from. It's not part of the original pagan celebration of Halloween. So all three of these uh, co-opted Christian days from October 31st to November 2nd are still observed in the Roman Catholic Church and some Anglican churches, I assume. There are even a few Protestants that observe All Saints Day. So Halloween's deepest roots are decidedly human and come from the fear-filled practices of pagan pre-Christian Europe. And unlike Christmas and Easter, this particular observance has kept all of its pagan roots. So the ancient church of pre-Christian Europe had to wrestle with the question, how in the world do we reach these people who are so dominated by fear? Well, the church of that time, in its foundering efforts, 
pointed them to faith. Faith that conquers death, faith that has resurrection life, faith that curbs the wild imaginations. I think, however, that you don't have to look too far to realize that as far as Halloween itself is concerned, at least in this country, in these United States, any Christian veneer or connection it ever had has been totally lost. At best, we can say Halloween is a secular holiday. And it is equally clear, in my opinion, that the pagan origins of Halloween have not faded into obscurity. In fact, in many ways, the pagan origins of Halloween have had a resurgence of popularity. And so then, the first way that a concerned believer ought to deal with this is to become informed. How are we to handle this in a way that glorifies God? To become well-informed about the real backstory of this observance. But then secondly, we need to become aware of all of the non-Christian influences in Halloween. I've mentioned a few already, but there are others. Some of you may be familiar with a religion known as Wicca. W-I-C-C-A is the way it's spelled. It comes from an old English and old Germanic word that refers to sorcery or a witch. And it supposedly has been one of the fastest growing spiritual preoccupations in modern America. Wicca is a neo-pagan religion. It can be traced back to a revival of interest in witchcraft and such things founded in the United Kingdom back in the 1940s. And, and the politically correct name for this movement is earth-based religion. Most people still have some reticence about saying, oh, I, I'm a witch or I practice witchcraft. Rather, if you hear someone say, well, mine is an earth-based religion. That's what they're telling you. Druids worshipped the elements of creation. They didn't worship the creator. They believed in some kind of creator, I guess, but it certainly wasn't the god of scripture. But they worshipped the moon, the sun, uh, trees, rocks. And so too, modern Wicca is a nature religion. And for modern witches, their most important holiday is Halloween. Halloween is also the most important, uh, important holiday for modern Satanists. Now, I know it's hard to imagine, but there are some unfortunate people in this world who do worship Satan. Satanists believe that Halloween is a night when demons and the devil have special powers. Now, those are some of the facts about all of this. But, you know, the even sadder reality is that our entire once at least nominally Christian culture, has become one big Halloween. I mean, you just take a look at the motion pictures and the books and the videos and, and the other cultural indicators. The, the fascination and glorification of evil and the demonic is a nonstop, 12 months out of the year fixation. Hollywood and the entertainment industry thrive on death and carnage and evil. Some of you may remember the days um, the, when you, if you wanted to rent a video. It was before the age of DVD players when you had those big cumbersome video cassettes. And you would go to these stores. Most people weren't buying them, and the, the video cassettes. And they would go to these stores and rent, you know, movies. I'm talking about the 1980s and 1990s primarily. Most people are not aware that back in those days, one of the highest rented and most often requested series of video cassette tapes was something called The Faces of Death. 
And this was a series of uh, video clips and news clips, which you typically, although now because of the, pro the progress of our culture, but, you know, if there was a, a bad wreck, say on 85, and I'll just say 1988, it might make the news, and you might see some police uh, flashing lights on the highway, but that was it. But what you didn't see was that the police departments and the coroner's office, they were there filming these things, and so somebody had taken all of this stuff and put it on video cassettes. And so you had raw footage of, of people having their heads cut off in car wrecks, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that, just absolute carnage and death, and people would rent these things and watch them. I mean, these weren't Hollywood productions. These were real live, bona fide, with legitimate medical or police reasons why these things would have been recorded. And somebody co-opted them and put them on cassette tapes. And they were fabulously popular in, in video rental stores. What does that tell you about a culture? That somebody would take a tape like that or a DVD or stream it online, whether it's that kind of thing or it's motion picture equivalent, and watch this stuff nonstop all the time. So Christians deal with Halloween. First, we should become educated about Halloween's historical roots. We should be aware of all of the non-Christian influences behind this observance. And then thirdly, and perhaps even more importantly, do not identify yourself with it. Now we heard what Paul said in Ephesians 5. But long before Paul wrote those words, and we could say perhaps... Uh, one reason Paul did write these words is because Moses, the man of God, had written these words similar long before. Before the Israelites crossed into the promised land, Moses warned them in this way. This is from Deuteronomy 18. He says, when you enter the land Yahweh, your God is giving you, be careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, he said, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Why did he have to warn them about that? Because those people were doing that. And he said, do not let your people practice, listen to this list, do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to Yahweh. Another way of saying that is that the Lord hates those who do it. And it is because of the other nations, he says, that they've done these detestable things that Yahweh, your God, will drive them out ahead of you. That's Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 12, if you want to look it up. You know, it is really important that we strive for obedience to God, and we should avoid glorifying death or giving honor to symbols of evil. October 31st may be a special day to groups who oppose the one true and living God. But we are to have nothing to do with it, and we are to always remember, even if they don't, they'll find out, our God reigns. He is king. In terms of fear? Well, I guess there is real fear that ought to be had, and that's in terms of those who hate God and promote evil. They are the only ones who need to fear Him and His vengeance. But for believers, we know the words of Paul in Colossians 1.13, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear, dear son. And then fourthly and finally, playing off that last verse, we need to remember part of our response to this is Christ is king. 
Christ is king. Just because we choose to withdraw from the practices that glorify death and, and turn the horrific into a joke, that doesn't mean that we Christians need to hide in our basements on October 31st. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said that Jesus has stripped the rulers and authorities of their power and made a public spectacle of them. That's Colossians 2.15. Now, at the beginning of this message, I mentioned the Druids of the old world, of the Celtic race. Let me ask you, think about this. When was the last time you were driving through Greenville or Greenville County or over to Spartanburg or wherever else, and you saw the first Druid church? You haven't seen that, have you? You, you won't find any Druidic churches in the world today. Oh, well, of course, now there are a few of these New Age types who have tried to recapture the lost glory of the old pagan ways, but they've had no success. I remember reading some time ago how somewhere in Norway or Iceland or somewhere they had built and dedicated the temple to the old Viking Norse gods, you know, Odin and Thor and all the rest of it. They were trying to resurrect these old pagan beliefs. Well, the people of Scandinavia, many of them had been evangelized by Lutheran missionaries. And so many, many people of Finland, Norway, Sweden, they are baptized in the Lutheran church, but they really don't practice any religion. So I'm guessing that the efforts to interest them in worshiping Odin and Thor has gone nowhere. I'm pretty sure that it hasn't. And you see, if those type of religions, say the Druids back in the day, if they had real power, well, they would have fought off the advance of the kingdom of God and the, and the Christian beliefs of that time, and they today would have the mega churches. But for all practical purposes, that religion has ceased to exist by God's grace. However, even though there are no churches or temples dedicated to Druidic pagan religion anywhere, that's not to say that there are churches, sadly, that have been infected with some of those kind of teachings, the Roman Catholic Church in particular. But then among evangelicals and charismatic type Christians, there are Christian authors who sell their formulas for successful growth as if they were magic spells. Well, what was that thing a few years ago, 10, 15 years ago, the prayer of Jabez? There's something perfectly legitimate that's recorded in the scripture, and the guy who wrote it, he turns it into this little, you know, talisman type book where you just pray the prayer of Jabez and everything will work out the way you want it to. Or buy these CDs, say these words, buy this Bible, support this ministry, and poof, everything magically changes for you. Those are but some of the symptoms of the modern church's compromises with humanism, because that root, that's what it is. Wicca. Druidism, all of this equals humanism, the worship of man and creation. Dr. Rastuni said many times, humanism is an evil, and we must do battle against it on all fronts. Now, how might we do that? You know, it might not have occurred to you, but our celebration every Lord's Day of the table of the Lord, Holy Communion, that is a powerful means of fighting the battle against evil. The spirit of Halloween exalts sin and death. You see the communion table here? You see it every Lord's Day. Because we, by God's grace, observe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day. So you see it every week. Do you realize that the world outside the realm of the communion of the table of the Lord 
is given to humanism and the hatred of God's law. It is, whatever form it takes. But in the end, it comes down to a matter of Christ and his victory over sin and death. His law, his righteousness, and eternal life versus humanism's love for death. So, as our pagan neighbors sadly go off to celebrate evil tomorrow, let us today be present in faithfulness at this table. And let us bear witness to our faith in Christ's kingdom, that it shall prevail. And let us commit ourselves to his service and his rule. And in this sacrament, we do proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. And in so doing, we likewise proclaim the triumph of his kingdom. As said in Revelation eleven fifteen. the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Praise be God. Let us pray.